What's good? What's good? It's C. Wood. Back at you again with another edition of Ball About the South with C. Wood. Ball About the South, that sports podcast where we talk to SEC, the HBCUs, the NFL, the NBA, and a lot, lot more. And we do it with a little bit of Southern flavor. I am your host, Kerry Wood, but call me C. Wood for short. At C. Wood on sports on Twitter and IG is where you can find me. And this is the 36th episode of Ball About the South. And I want to welcome you in to the to this edition as we have a lot to talk about as we move on in the football season. Week 5 just completing in the college football season. And week 4 just complete in the NFL. And we're going to get down with, with both of those. You know how we do it around here. If... Uh, if it is your first time, I do want to welcome you in. Um, again, my name is Kerry Wood, but uh, I do hope that this is not your last time. Hope that you will enjoy the show. Like, subscribe. That way you'll know exactly when Ball About the South puts out another episode or whatever. And I definitely hope that you'll share it with the, all the other people that you know love sports, especially if they love it from a southern perspective like we bring it right here on Ball About the South. Anyway, man, let's get on into this episode. And we're going to get into the NFL a little bit later on. A lot going on there in the NFC and in the AFC South is where, obviously, we focus on a huge game up there in Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. The Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts, um, had a pretty good battle on Sunday afternoon. We had the Atlanta Falcons do battle against the Cleveland Browns. We'll talk about both of those matchups. You had the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans. I'm sorry, in New Orleans. <laughs> had the New Orleans Saints in London, rather, taking on the Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins, and that crew. We'll obviously get into some of that, and we'll maybe talk a little bit, uh, if time permits, kind of go around the NFL just for a little bit, some snippets, a little, you know, give you a little bit of an idea of what I'm looking at around the rest of the league as well, but we're going to start things off, and also we're going to have a little bit of NBA a little bit later in the show, Ben Simmons, man, we'll talk about him for a quick second and um, what's going on with the Brooklyn Nets from, that, from his perspective anyway, being that he... Obviously, it's an LSU Bengal Tiger. We'll get into them because they had a game the other night on NBA TV. And uh, it's rather interesting. So I figured we'd kind of talk about that as we get into the NBA season. And, and uh, be, you know, don't uh, absolutely. We'll definitely have some NBA content coming up here in the next couple of weeks. We're going to preview the uh NBA Southwest and the Southeast divisions and we'll look at you know give a broader picture of the rest of the NBA as well as we get ready for tip off I mean real tip off of the regular season here in a couple weeks anyway man let's get into the college football scene though right now starting the SEC we're gonna we're gonna start with that actually with the Alabama Crimson Tide and that huge victory that they had over the Arkansas Razorbacks we'll get into the rest of the the SEC here in just a little bit as I go with my around the SEC segment. But we'll start with the Crimson Tide and 
all the news of that game up there at Arkansas, the 49-26 victory for the Tide over the Razorbacks was not good news despite the victory. We all know what went down there. Bryce Young, the defending Heisman Trophy quarterback for the Crimson Tide, went down with two injury, with a shoulder injury uh, to be exact. Uh, they're saying it's kind of an AC joint. I think that's what they're calling it. Uh, head coach Nick Saban said that he has had the injury before, and uh, but apparently this one this time maybe is a little bit more severe than the other times or whatever. I'm not really sure. Uh, he's on a day-to-day status right now. I'm not really sure what his status is for this coming weekend or actually going forward. But you would not expect it to be an injury that will take him a long time to get over. I would I would think. You know, maybe they sit him this week. I'm not. I can't really say for sure. I mean, obviously Nick Saban's not going to really tell us anything about that. <laughs> I got a little bit of a snippet of him here in just a few minutes, but uh, at his press conference the other day, I'm, I'm going to play that here in just a few minutes. But so we're not really sure exactly how that's going to play out. Uh, so again. It, it is what it is. I, I would expect, though, probably you probably see Bryce Young suit up against Tennessee next week, not this coming week when they play Texas A&M. Texas A&M is an interesting story, to say the least. We'll get into them here a little bit in a few minutes. They are the next opponent for the Alabama Crimson Tide primetime Saturday night kickoff there on CBS. Um but anyway, let's get into what we saw this past Saturday. Once Bryce Young, especially once he went out of the lineup, I mean, Alabama got off to a quick start. They had the first drive. They um, they went down the field pretty easily, got down inside the uh, red zone, and Bryce Young threw an interception. The ball went off of Trayshawn Holden, number 11, the wide receiver. He kind of tried to bring the ball in with one hand, and the ball – Obviously, it was a little bit hot. You know, he was defended well by the Arkansas defensive back, and the ball skipped up in the air, and uh, the Razorbacks picked it out. You know, picked it off. They come back the next drive, and they go right down, and then they uh, get to midfield. And on a third down play, Bryce Young hits Kobe Prentice, the freshman, number eighty, on a slant. He takes it the distance and puts Bama up seven nothing. Then they come back, they score again on a Bryce Young run uh, on RPO uh, down inside the uh, five-yard line or whatever. And that ball, that touchdown was set up by the pass to Isaiah Bond, another freshman, <laughs> number 17, on the long pass there to set that one up. So Alabama jumped out. Really should could have been 17 or 21 nothing, at least 17 nothing, but probably should have been 21 nothing right out of the gate. But it was 14-0 Bama, and then Bryce Young gets the injury on the sideline over there. And, and oddly enough, he was hit by uh, Drew Sanders. He is a former linebacker for Alabama this, just last season. They just decided he would transfer out. He had an injury and uh, kind of lost his job to Dallas Turner and uh, number 15 and Braswell, number 41, kind of. Jumped the jump, jumped in the up in the depth chart on him there a little bit, so he kind of felt a little bit uneasy coming back. Didn't think he would win his job back, so he moved on to Arkansas, and now he is making 
some big time plays for the Razorbacks. Well, the tackle really the tackle really didn't have anything to do with the injury necessarily. What well, basically what happened was Bryce Young was trying to make a play and just really probably just should have just uh given up on the play and that's the thing he's gonna have to do in in the future on plays like that. We talked about that with Tua Tonga Valor. We'll talk about Tua a little bit later in the show as well. Uh, everything going on with him and his injuries. But uh, Bryce Young goes down on that arm and obviously sprained that joint or whatever in there. And now, again, he's, he's day-to-day. But after that is, you know, obviously the, the what I want to focus on right now. And Jalen Milrow is the backup quarterback that comes in for Bryce Young and I thought one thing that was really helpful for, for Jalen Milrow, who's had a little bit of experience, but not much, obviously mostly garbage time when, we, when we've when we seen him come into the game, the the big thing was that, you know, it was already 14 nothing, and then uh, on the ensuing drive, uh, you know, the Arkansas drive where they had to punt, Kool-Aid McKinstry returns the punt. I don't know, it's just what, 50, 60 yards and puts Alabama like right inside the red zone again. <laughs> I think inside the 15-yard line or so. And really, I think that was huge for Jalen Milrow to come in and already be set up right there, ready to score. I mean, they could they could have not gained a yard and they would have been in field goal range and could have gone up 17 nothing. They end up getting the touchdown pass to JoJo Earl, who came back from injury as well. And so you get the touchdown pass on the screen to, to JoJo Earl. So you go up 21 nothing. So everything is set up really well for Jalen Milrow coming into this game. You couldn't ask for a better scenario for Bryce Young to get injured and to bring in Jalen Milrow. You, you couldn't ask for a better scenario. So that that really worked out. I thought that was a huge play in the game for Kool-Aid McKinstry to get that punt return. Because even at 14-0, man, while Alabama really looked strong, the defense looked really good, uh, the offense obviously was clicking pretty good at the time, 14-0, 21-0 is a lot different than 14-0, in my opinion, with a new quarterback that's coming in trying to get acclimated to everything. I thought that was huge. Alabama actually went up 28 nothing before Arkansas finally scored there at the end of the half to make it 28 to 7. Then the Hogs went on 16 nothing run there. <laughs> 16 unanswered points in the third quarter, so that made it 23 unanswered. They get the lead to 28-23. And if you think ball game on, crowd is back into it big time and you've got this guy Red shirt freshman Jalen Jalen Milrow at at the you know running the running the, your offense. So you know I mean this thing could go south really quick for Alabama. There's no question about that. So you get this third down play, and this is without question the turn the turning point of this football game. Third and fifteen, no less. Uh, after a penalty, Jalen Milrow takes that RPO and takes it the distance almost. Gets inside the five-yard line. 76-yard run, if I'm not mistaken. Huge play because, obviously, you know, you're not going to trust Jalen Milrow to make plays like that, a third and long. Obviously, you don't want him throwing the ball too often. And that was the thing about it. He didn't have to 
they got the big run. They get the touchdown uh, run from McClellan after that. Makes it 35-23. And, every, you know, and order was restored. Alabama comes up. They get a stop. They get a couple more long runs by Jameer Gibbs, who had himself a ball game, 206 rushing yards. Alabama went over 300 yards rushing. And the Alabama Crimson Tide comes away with that big 49-26 victory over the Arkansas Razorbacks, then ranked um, number 20 ranked Arkansas Razorbacks at the time. So that would I mean just really a fantastic football game for the Tide when you look at it from that standpoint. Um, the defense, I thought, played pretty well despite giving up 26. I mean, they gave up 23 unanswered points, but you have to kind of look Look, read between the lines on that because, I mean, you had the onside kick, which set up, set up Arkansas over the short field. After that one, you had the the um, punt, uh, uh, the, the bad snap by the, the long snapper, and Arkansas was set right back up again at the three-yard line. And, uh, you know, Alabama went, I mean, Arkansas went three possessions, basically, where Alabama did not, Alabama's offense did not touch the ball. So you know at that point the defense was was blowing. You know, there's no question about it. They had to be, and so you sit there and you have to kind of take that into account when you look at the 26 points given up. So I thought the uh, the defense did a really good job. Obviously not perfect, but good job on KJ Jefferson. Good job. Um, I will say this. I think Arkansas. Razorbacks are still kind of looking for that guy to replace Traylon Burks. Um, I'm not really sure that they found that guy. They're looking at several different guys right now. They really, and their receivers helped KJ Jefferson not at all in the first half. They got a lot. They did a lot better in the second half when they made that run and got back in the game. They finally made some catches and helped him out. But early in the game, they were horrific dropping passes left and right giving him absolutely no help at all rocket sanders running game had a couple runs here and there but nothing major so arkansas's offense was stuck in neutral until that third quarter so again you sit there and you look at the run game obviously i think bringing in a guy like Jalen milrow who's a guy that's going to run that rpo game a little bit different well not a little bit different a lot different than Bryce Young is actually kind of helps the run game in my opinion and that that you know that played out perfectly on Saturday afternoon I mean you sit there and you look at Jalen Milrow who's very athletic and a lot of the players and coaches on that team are saying he's the fastest guy on the team and he's and you see his size I mean this dude is built like a linebacker almost so you've got this guy coming downhill on that RPO. It's a lot different than Bryce Young running it. Because, you know, I think basically defenses are not really going to honor Bryce Young on that quarterback keep. I don't think they really honor it. Because, you know, we we, we saw Bryce Young run very little, if at all, last season. He's run a little bit more this season so far, which I think is a good thing. You don't want to put him in too many uh, precarious situations or whatever because of his size and his stature and everything, but you gotta find a way to keep these defenses honest when he runs that play. So, 
it's going to be interesting to see how Alabama does this thing going forward. I think one thing is for sure, man, Jalen Milrow needs a package. And it's funny that I say that because one of the media members mentioned that in Nick Saban's press conference the other day. I'm going to play that clip, (laughs) the clip of Nick Saban's response to that media member. You've talked about Jalen Merrill's unique skill set. Just given that, is there a thought of maybe putting a package together for him regardless of Bryce's injury status? We already have one. So. Okay. Uh, we got three. Do you want us to put a new one together now just because he might play or use the old one? I mean, we can do either one. I mean, I'll, I'll go talk to the offensive coaches and see. Um. Again, you know, I don't talk to Jimbo on a regular basis, but I'll call him and tell him right after the conference if you want me to. Man, you guys think I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with our offense and our team? You, you, you might as well make it up. I, I saw today where there's headlines in the paper that, you know, I'm going to keep it a secret what we're going to do with Bryce. I'm, that's... It sounded like me making that statement, but it re- I've never said that, but it, it was there in black and white, like, so you can make up whatever you want to make up, you know, look at somebody else's running quarterback and say they should put these plays in. I think that'd be a better way to do it. <laughs> so that's Nick Saban <laughs> kind of going off a little bit about this, uh, situation with Bryce Young and Jalen Milrow. He's saying that Jalen Milrow already has a package. <laughs> so, uh, we've just not really seen that package yet. And I think that's where the media member was going for, you know, with his question there. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, I think despite the fact whether or not Bryce is in the lineup, I think Jalen Milrow definitely brings an element that could really help Alabama kind of in a Chris Leak, Tim Tebow type way, 2006 when Florida won the national championship. They'd have Tim Tebow come in and have his package, basically short yardage, and um, they rolled that thing all the way to the national championship. I think Jalen Milrow could, you know, kind of do some of the same things. We'll see how that works out. But really good performances across the board for Alabama. Again, I've talked about Kobe Prentice and Isaiah Bunn, two true freshmen coming up with some huge pass plays there with the offense. Treshawn Holden, he had a couple drops. He also had a couple nice catches there. And then again, Jameer Gibbs doing his thing, 206 yards on the ground. Like I said, man, Having a guy like Jalen Milrow opens that run, that run game up a little bit more. Obviously, Alabama's more of a passing team, and that's what I think a lot of fans kind of don't like. They don't like the passing style that Bryce Young has, but I think, again, they're, they're using that. They're fitting that offense around Bryce Young, and that is kind of the right thing to do. It, it just is. And if you're going to run that RPO game, you're going to you know run the spread, you're going to run the kind of the hurry up offense or whatever. Um, 
it's it's gone. It's you have to run it with with a guy like Bryce throwing the football like that. But at, at the same time, having a throwing quarterback like Bryce kind of hurts the run game a little bit, and we saw evidence of that Saturday afternoon. Big time evidence of that. So again, huge win for Alabama. They go to five and zero, oh, and now they get ready for Texas A and M. And we've talked about. Well, I mean, the, the the news, the media has put this game on a big-time pedestal. And now, all of a sudden, Texas A&M comes into this game with two losses now. They lost, obviously, to Appalachian State earlier in the season. And then they just went down in defeat against Mississippi State, 42-24 to the other day. They're in Starkville or Stark Vegas, as we like to call that place over there in Mississippi. Um, here's the deal, man. I mean, a lot of people kind of talking about that matchup the other day. And I'm like, look, you know, it's no surprise for me <laughs> that A&M lost their football game because I thought it was a trap game supreme. You sit there, you're coming off the Arkansas game. Uh, first of all, just playing the game against Arkansas, but then winning a game and winning it in, in the fashion that they won it with Arkansas missing the field goal late in the game in the last few seconds or whatever, really uh, physical game and all of that. And then look up this coming week, you've got Alabama and all the talk about Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban from this summer and all of that, the recruiting deal, you know, Nick Saban saying that Jimbo Fisher paid for players and obviously got into Deion Sanders and uh, Jackson State with all of that as well. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, and all the talking, you know, of course, Jimbo going off in the press conference the next morning and all of that. <laughs> so this has become, and then, of course, not to mention, Texas A&M beat Alabama last year in, in College Station. So this game has been hyped up big time for, you know, so you have all of that, and in the middle of, of Arkansas in this huge primetime matchup, you have Mississippi State on the road. I mean, you're talking about a trap game. That is the epitome of a trap game. And Texas A&M, I thought that was an easy game to prognosticate. I would have put big-time money on Mississippi State to cover that football game, if nothing else, but really to win it straight up, and they did just that. So, you know, what about this game Saturday night? Um, uh, <laughs> it's going to be interesting, obviously, because we don't know about Jalen Milrow, if it's going to be Jalen Milrow or if it's going to be Bryce Young. I think Alabama really is going to be okay either way. I think that Jalen Milrow is a good enough passer I think uh, obviously you you're gonna see teams try to stack the box and things of that nature with and dare him to throw the football. I don't think there's any question about that. But this dude is athletic enough, and he has guys around him that are athletic enough. Jameer Gibbs and all you know, Jason McClellan in the backfield. Well, uh, I just think, man, it's gonna be enough for Alabama to get it done one way or another on Saturday night. Uh, and this again, and then this we're still talking about an A and M offense that just is kind of stuck in neutral. They uh, starting quarterback Max Johnson went out of the game the other night, so they brought back 
Haynes King, and he came in and was a little bit of a spark, but he because obviously he is a guy that has it's kind of like the Alabama situation. He you know he's a guy that can run. I mean he he presents an element of that run game within that RPO system or whatever that you know the defenses have to honor. They have to honor him running the football that they don't necessarily have to do with Max Johnson. So it's kind of the same type scenario. But this this team is still stuck in neutral offensively. So and I just I just don't know if that changes against Alabama this coming Saturday. I do think Texas A&M is going to come up with a huge effort, and Alabama is going to have to really play their game. And uh, they're going you know they they can't just come in there and just expect to win the game. That's for sure. I know that. But uh, I think that Alabama will be okay, and they'll figure out a way to win that game on Saturday night. We got a lot of of other games to get into. We got some big time games. Really, the best game. When I'm talking about this Alabama game from Saturday, the best game of the day: Kentucky Wildcats at Ole Miss. That game was the first game out of game day and out of SEC Nation last week. And uh, we're going to get into that. We're also getting into that Auburn situation. That Auburn game against LSU. What a crazy game that was. And a lot more. We're gonna go around the SEC in my next seven in my next segment when Ball About the South continues. All right, y'all, we're back in. Ball about the South, and we're gonna go around the SEC. SEC, SEC, SEC. Yes, sir, you know what that sound means. SEC. Let's get into the SEC in my around the SEC segment, and like I told you, like we talked about here just a few minutes ago, the game of the week in the SEC was not in Fayetteville, Arkansas. It was in Oxford, Mississippi. The Ole Miss Rebels hosting the Kentucky Wildcats, number 14 team hosting the number seven team in the country at the time. Uh, what a game it was. 22-19, Ole Miss comes out victorious. And again, it, it really lived up to the hype now it doesn't have the hype that Arkansas Alabama had or anything like that, but it should have had. I mean, it it should have had that type hype behind it because of how important it is. I mean, look, I'm talking about two undefeated teams going into that football game, and basically two teams that were in each division looking to show that they can. Hang with the big boys, Kentucky in the east, Ole Miss in the west. So, and Ole Miss again, they kind of, you know, took care of home home field advantage. And that was really probably the biggest difference in that football game when you kind of look at it. Again, Kentucky, uh, where Ole Miss jumped out to a 14-0 lead there in the uh, first quarter, Kentucky ended up getting a punt return there to set them up. Well, actually, it was a kickoff return off of one of the touchdowns, actually, that set them up in good territory. They ended up scoring on that and kind of, you know, settled things down and got the lead to 14-6 to and actually trailed 19-12 to there at the half. Now, the reason it was 19 because there was a safety mixed in there where Will Levis was uh, tackled in the end zone. For the two points. So, and and then you sit there and you look at Kentucky missed 
two field goals in the first half. I, I, know, I know they missed one. I'm, I'm almost certain they missed two. They missed an extra point. So, really, I think actually it was just one. It was just one field goal. So, But, again, they should have had five extra points, four or five extra point, points, and then you sit there and take away what, you know, the safety. Kentucky really should have been right there maybe leading or tied going into the half, and instead they were down 19-12. to 12. But then they came out, tied the game not too far into the third quarter, and it was game on from there, but there wasn't much scoring in the second half after that. Only 10 points scored total in the second half, and again, 22-19, pretty low-scoring game by today's standards. Uh, Ole Miss, man, again, showing that this team can really sit here and run the football. This is the thing that's different about this team in comparison to all of the you know old miss teams of the past even when you talk about i mean i mean really whatever coach you want to bring up especially Hugh Freeze here a few years ago um and now Lane Kiffin who obviously they threw the ball around quite a bit with Matt Corral and those guys yes last year so them having they're having a running game is a little bit different, that's for sure. And that running game is led by Quinshawn Judkins and he had uh he went over the century mark again, hundred and six yards rushing on fifteen attempts. And uh really sets the tone. He had uh Jackson Dart, the quarterback, had forty yards rushing, so they almost got to two hundred yards rushing on the day, hundred and eighty six. Ole Miss continues to be one of the better running teams in the country. Not just in the SEC. I think pretty much they're, they've been the best in the SEC. They're one of the best in the country. And that's really kind of ironic when you think about Kentucky. And Kentucky's bell cow for all these years has been the run game. <laughs> and they have not been able to run it as well this season. We know about the injury to Chris Rodriguez. Uh, this past Saturday, Cavassier Smoke, the other guy, both those guys seem like they've been in Kentucky in that backfield for like 10 years. <laughs> I mean, I want to check their birth certificates, man, <laughs> and their, their, their driver's license. There's got to be something wrong. They've been there at least 10 years. But Cavassier Smoke only had two carries in the game. I think he had an injury going on. So Cavassier Smoke, they you know trying to get him back in the mix. Just got Chris Rodriguez back. He ended up getting 19 carries for 72 yards. But obviously, this Kentucky run game is not where it needs to be. It's not where I think uh, Mark Stoops, the head coach, would like it to be. Uh, they really need you know, to have balance to go with Will Levis. Now, you look at Will Levis's numbers on the, on Saturday, 18-24 through the air, 220 yards, a couple touchdowns. Looks, I mean, there's nothing wrong with those numbers. They look, they look really good. But you sit there and you kind of dig deeper into some of um, those turnovers, man. Man, they only had two turnovers, but they were huge. Obviously, the biggest turnover of the game, both of them were um, fumbles inside scoring territory in the fourth quarter. They scored, They fumbled the first one there. I guess maybe around midway point in the fourth quarter. And then, of course, 
they get back down in, in scoring range and, and Will Levis I mean he gets I mean he gets blasted by Ole Miss linebacker and the ball comes out, Ole Miss uh gets possession and that was that. That was that for that football game and, and you know just really really a really a crazy game the way it kinda turned out, but it was really an entertaining game despite there not being a lot of scoring. It was really entertaining, entertaining game. It was, and like I said, it was the game of the day going into it, and it ended up being the game of the day, actually on the fields. And uh, again, it was, it's good to have those because sometimes, man, we sit here and we we get all hyped up about a matchup or whatever, and it doesn't turn out to be what it should be, or at least what we thought it would be. In this case, that game delivered. It's just Kentucky has got to figure out going forward. I mean, I, I, I don't feel any different about Kentucky as far as, um, you know, they've struggled with some lesser teams. We know that. They, you know, um, <laughs> they they play up to their, uh, to their competition. I don't think there's any question about that. They, they struggle with, you know, these other, these lower uh, tier teams here in the last few weeks, and a lot of people saying, "Well, it's caught up with them." I mean, look, I don't, I'm not really sure that that's what it is that happened here against Ole Miss. I just think Ole Miss is a good football team, a lot better than a lot of people thought they would be, and they were sitting there playing at home. Kentucky just, for whatever reason, they continue to make those mistakes in ball games, whether it's penalties, whether it was missed field goals like they did the other day, and whether it was timely turnovers that just cannot, that you just cannot do when you're trying to win a big football game like that. So, let's see how things go going forward for the Kentucky Wildcats as they continue. I mean, look, really, I mean, their their goals are still there. I mean, that was not a division game, so you didn't lose, really necessarily lose ground on Georgia, you can still win out and, and you know, hey, you go out and beat Georgia, <laughs> you're still going to get where you want to go. And if they only have the one loss to Ole Miss, Kentucky's going to be in the mix to get to Atlanta and get to the playoff. Again, I'm not sitting here telling you that's going to happen. I'm just saying all of their goals are still in line. And obviously the same for Ole Miss. Ole Miss is sitting there 5-0, and and a lot of people are starting to just now talk about this football team. And we've been talking about it here all summer, man. Who's the second-best team in the West? I was sitting here all summer saying Arkansas. And I think right now the loss of Traylon Burks is really hurting that football team. And uh, as far as, again, I talked about that a few minutes ago, so, and then, obviously, you sitting there, you look at what's going on at Texas A&M. Obviously, it's not them. Right now, I think there's any question. Second best team in the West right now is Ole Miss. <laughs> kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. I, I, You know, again, not shocking. I, I knew Ole Miss would be pretty good. Just didn't know. We were just were not sure. And, and I think there's still some doubts and there's still some questions about this Ole Miss team because I don't think, I don't know if we know enough about Jackson Dart. I don't know if we know enough about the guys that are around him, especially in the pass game. The run game, I think we know what's up with that. 
So, anyway, really good football game the other day between Ole Miss and Kentucky. Let's go into a little bit of some of the other action there in the SEC. Um, again, we talked about Georgia really quick. Again, I just I don't really see the the need of really trying to <laughs> break that down, break that game down against Missouri. It just looked to me like a game where Georgia sleepwalked through it, and then they finally decided in the fourth quarter, said, well, I guess we go out, I guess we better go on out and do something to try to win this football game. I mean, that, that, that was basically what it was. Uh, we talked about Mississippi State losing. I'm sorry, beating Texas A&M. The other big game, man, obviously the LSU Tigers and Auburn Tigers. <laughs> the, the battle of the Tigers there in Auburn. Um, I mean, we know the deal on both ends of that rivalry. We, you know, we have one coach on one end of the spectrum that's just getting to town, and he's trying to, get, you know, uh, uh, make way for for his way and everything. He's trying to put his stamp on the program. And then you got the other guy on the other side of the spectrum that's just trying to survive. <laughs> and that obviously would be Brian Harson. And I tell you, the, the one thing I did not look for in this football game, man, <laughs> I mean, seriously, the one thing that I did not look for is for Auburn to jump out 17 nothing. I, I mean, that I, I did not see that coming at, at any point. There was nothing you could have told me besides LSU, like, turning the ball over three times in, in, in their own territory or something like that, could I see Auburn scoring 17 points in the first half? I just could not see it. But that's what happened on the plane Saturday night. Auburn jumps out 17 nothing. Quarterback Robbie Ashford, after uh, having his issues here and, and kind of being thrown to the wolves because of the injuries to uh, T.J. Finley and those other guys there at the quarterback position, was actually looking pretty good. I mean, this dude went over 300 yards passing the other day. No one saw that coming. No one. And, you know, we were looking at Auburn as being pretty much hesitant to even have him throw the football. And this dude throws for over 300 yards. And they put up 17 points in the first half. Problem is, <laughs> they put up nothing in the second half. It's kind of like the Tennessee Titans almost. I mean, the, the Auburn Tigers and the Titans play similar football games right now, scoring all their points in one half and then doing absolutely nothing in the second half. Auburn has kind of an excuse. I don't know what Tennessee's excuse is supposed to be. We'll, we'll talk about the Titans in a few minutes. But, man, they jump out that 17 nothing lead. But you knew that that, probably wasn't safe, but then you sit there and you think about LSU. This is another team that, <laughs> I mean, it's had, uh, they've played a lot better the last few weeks, the last two or three weeks, especially offensively, but there's still questions about this team. Jaden Daniels, the quarterback, the weapons that he has surrounding him, really the lack of a running game that they've had here for the last couple of years, seems like, you know, you know, so it was like, okay, 
they're down 17 nothing. I don't know if they're going to be able to come back in this game or not. And it really was not the offense that did it. It was their defense that saved the day. They had the uh, scoop and score or the pick six or whatever there that kind of got things started. And they end up going up and getting 21 points. And that was enough to win the football game because Auburn's offense became extremely stagnant like again, like it has the last couple weeks. Just one of those crazy things, man. And uh, that was again. That's why I say this could have been if if Missouri, if Missouri had found a way to hold on to that lead <laughs> against Georgia. That's this would have gone down. I think it's one of the craziest Saturdays in SEC football history. Because you sit there and you think about it. I mean, I think the one thing, the one element that was missing for you know for it to be called that was a huge upset. We didn't have a huge upset. I think, you know, you had the really good game with kind of the crazy results in the Kentucky Ole Miss game. You had, you know, all of the, everything going on in the Alabama game, Bryce Young getting hurt and all of that. You had the um, really crazy game again here with LSU, with LSU and Auburn. The only thing that was really missing was that upset, and we never did get that, but – Again, this LSU-Auburn game was wild, uh, like it usually is. I mean, it's a normal LSU-Auburn game, no matter where it's played, no matter when it is played. LSU finds a way to get the victory, man. And, and again, you sit there and you look at some of these stats, though. I mean, nothing, nothing uh, impressive, really, except, again, Auburn going over 337 yards passing from Auburn on Saturday night. LSU only mustered up 207 yards total. <laughs> total. And I think, again, I think that's that says a couple things. I think it says that LSU is still at a point where they're still trying to find themselves, obviously. But I also think it's saying that Auburn has a pretty good defense. I mean, I, I, don't, I think Auburn's defense definitely was its saving grace, if, if, you know, the other night to kind of keep them in it to give them a chance. Their their, their offense just could not get out of its own way to put to put any more points on the board. That's just kind of how it was. Uh, LSU ended up having 185 yards on the ground, which is pretty surprising. Uh, you look up and you'll see that uh, uh, Jaden Daniels had 59 of that. Uh, running back Josh Williams, number 27, he ended up having 68 yards of that on 17 carries. So they got enough. But, again, these these are two teams, man, I think they're going in two totally different directions because of the coaching. But, really, LSU is kind of right now, I, I still don't think we know enough about this LSU squad yet to see exactly what's going to happen with them. Obviously, we should know a lot more about the LSU Tigers when they play Tennessee this coming weekend. That is an obvious. That is obviously a very interesting football game there in Death Valley. Anyway, man. So they only really had five games going on, on Saturday. Yet yeah, Florida played their game on Sunday due to Hurricane uh, Ian, and South Carolina played their game against South Carolina State. On Thursday, and both of those teams won very convincingly over their foes, uh, both of them going 
Uh, South Carolina scoring 50 and Florida scoring 52 points in, you know, in those two games. So, again, man, <laughs> if I was going, you know, I really haven't done a power rankings yet or anything. I've been kind of thinking about doing that and I uh, said, well, you know what, I guess I better go ahead and do that. Um, right now, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say necessarily going through 1 through 14, but I would say the top five right now in the league, obviously I have these last few weeks I would have had Georgia ahead of Alabama with with the you know, with everything that went on this past Saturday, I'll have to slide Alabama back ahead of Georgia. I have Georgia obviously number two. Right now <laughs> I've got Ole Miss at number three. I mean, you know, they've beaten Kentucky. I would have had Kentucky there. I've got old Miss. At, well, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm gonna I, no. I'm gonna go Tennessee at number three, just because of the quarterback situation with Hendon Hooker. I, I've got to go with them at, at three, and then I've got to go Ole Miss at four. And then I think I I'll keep Kentucky in the top five at number five. I, I again, I, I don't my my opinion on Kentucky did not change a lot with that football game on Saturday versus Ole Miss. Okay, so that's my top five right now in the league. And, uh, again, who knows? It could change again <laughs> this coming week. We'll see what happens. Huge game again there. Alabama getting the visit from Texas A&M. And then, of course, the one I just mentioned, the huge football game in Baton Rouge. Tennessee comes calling there in Death Valley. And that's a day game. It's a 2.30 kickoff on CBS. So that might help. I'm sorry, no, it's an, I'm sorry, no, it's an 11 o'clock game. I was thinking that was a 2.30 game. You know what? That's right. It's not. Obviously, CBS has a doubleheader this coming Saturday. I think they would love to have had Tennessee and LSU over this Auburn-Georgia game. But who knows? You never know what might happen <laughs> in this crazy world of college football. Maybe Auburn goes in there and scares, you know, and maybe gives Georgia a scare. We'll see what happens. Um. Arkansas, who is not ranked now, they traveled to number 22 old uh, Mississippi State. That should be a good ball game. Arkansas has some concerns about K.J. Jefferson. Uh, maybe a hit there at the end of the game where he might have taken a little bit of an injury. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, Ole Miss is at Vanderbilt. That's SEC Network game at 3 p.m. Uh, we mentioned Auburn at Georgia this coming weekend, 2.30 CBS, part of the uh, CBS doubleheader this week. Uh, Their yearly doubleheader. It used to be Alabama and LSU. Now it's an Alabama-Texas A&M thing. You know how that goes. Um, Missouri's at Florida. That is 11 o'clock. ESPNU, South Carolina's at Kentucky. Uh, that is SEC Network at 6.30. Mentioned the Tennessee LSU game, of course. Ten LSU, uh, well, I'm sorry, Tennessee early three point favorite in Baton Rouge, and then of course we have the Aggies and the Crimson Tide in Tuscaloosa at 7 p.m. Central Time on CBS. So, anyway, man, <laughs> a lot to go, a lot to talk about in the SEC, and it. it uh, this this league is really getting crazy uh, behind Alabama and Georgia. It's going to be interesting to see which one of these teams is really legit and is going to stay in the race. Anyway, man, we're going to 
take a quick break right now. We'll come back. We're going to get into the NFL. Ball about the South continues. Okay, y'all, we're back in. Ball about the South continues. Before I get into my NFL talk, I wanted to uh, start off on a somber note. I wanted to kind of give a little bit of a tribute to one Coolio. Coolio, the rapper back, I guess, early, mid-90s. Uh, passed away, the uh, I guess, what was it, the end of last week, uh, Thursday, Friday, somewhere in there. And, uh, man, it's, it's kind of hit me a little bit. Uh, he's 59 years old, pretty young, um, when you really look at it. And, uh, man, just, again, losing so many of our entertainers and rappers especially, um, Obviously, we've been losing a lot of rappers to gun violence and, you know, just violence, period, which is just, man, that, man that's got to stop. I mean, I'm not really sure what's going on with that. What is, you know, the mindset of uh, the people that are doing that or whatever. This, you know, I don't know, but having Coolio to pass away, not really sure exactly the circumstances, but my heart goes out to his family, my condolences, and all that to Coolio. May he rest in peace. Obviously, one of his, couple of his biggest hits, Gangster's Paradise, which was probably his biggest hit, and then uh, Fantastic Voyage, where both of those songs he sampled off older songs, of course, but, um, man, really good guy from what I understand. And uh, one of the stars from that back in the, that again that early mid '90s era, if I remember correctly, I think that's kind of when he was uh, the most popular. Again, uh, may he rest in peace. Anyway, man, let's get into the NFL, and we're gonna start out in the AFC South with the Tennessee Titans and. <laughs> Oh, again, like I said, man, with Auburn scoring all their points in the first half, same thing with the Tennessee Titans. And this is, this is a recurring thing with these Titans, man. What is the deal? You know, you know I, I kind of, you know, kind of added things up. And it comes out to being 68 points by Tennessee in the first half. 13 in the game against the Giants. They had seven first drive of the game, their first offensive drive of the game in Buffalo on that Monday night, that horrible Monday night, right? Okay. Uh, so that gives you uh, 20. Then you had 24 points last, you know, last week against the Raiders at home. So that's 44. And then you go another 24 this past weekend against Indianapolis there in Indy to make 68. In the second half, <laughs> the Titans have the seven points that they scored in game one against the Giants. That one touchdown after, I think it was after the long pass from Daniel Jones to Shepard, if I'm not mistaken, that tied the game at, the, at that moment. And then the Tennessee, you know, the Titans came back and took the lead only, of course, to lose the football game. But that is it in the second half. One touchdown. And I just, I mean, I'm, I'm just sitting here like I have no clue what the deal is. Um, I mean, 
everybody wants wants to say oh it's play calling or it's this you know obviously Todd Downing is is going to come under fire for anything that that goes wrong with the offense and a lot of it is rightfully so don't get me wrong but I mean to sit here and you know I don't know. I mean, is the play calling that much different than it is in the first half? I mean, the play calling is working in the first half. <laughs> I mean, now, if you want to sit here and look at this game this past weekend, Indianapolis obviously helped the Titans a lot there in that first half. Turnovers at um, Matt Ryan had, was it two or three huge turnovers? I, was, I know it was at least one in the first half, maybe two in the first half, if I'm not mistaken. Um. So I'm kind of going through looking at stats again on my in my notes here. Uh, he had the one he had one interception. Uh, he was sacked three times, and I want to say he lost two fumbles. Okay, so and you know, again, all of that was in the first half. But uh, the Titans were helped out by the by the. I mean, obviously the defense forced those turnovers. Don't get me wrong, but. Uh, anytime you get a turnover like that, obviously it's going to kind of, you know, it's going to be kind of looked at as a gift, especially if you turn it into points. And it's on, you know, you got the ball uh, in good scoring range, good field position, or whatever. But you know, t- uh, the Colts turned it over three times. I was thinking it was four, but you know, I see it's three times here they lost. And actually, you know, uh, that. I know there was a third fumble. The third fumble wasn't lost. That's what it is. That is the difference. They had two lost fumbles, and then they had one fumble where uh, the Colts were able to jump back on the ball. But second half, I mean, just absolutely nothing going on for the Tennessee Titans. And it is becoming – no, actually forget that. It has become very alarming. Um. I think at one point in the fourth quarter, Tennessee had like seven yards total offense. And so, and it's it's really taken away from a lot of positives, even though, again, there were some gifts involved from Indianapolis in that first half. It's really kind of taken away from some positives. I mean, Derrick Henry, man, look. <laughs> and we're going to go back to that Monday night against Buffalo. I, mean, I cannot tell you how many people I heard or saw on Twitter and social media saying, oh, you know what, no, no, I think Derrick Henry is done. He's washed. I mean, this this uh, this team is trash. It's time to rebuild. And, you know, again, and since then they won two in a row. Again, not the most impressive, especially in the second half. But Derrick Henry has looked quite well out of the backfield, I mean, running and uh, receiving as well. I mean, you sit there and look at his stats the other day. He had uh, 22 rushes, 114 yards. He had one touchdown there. He had five targets, three receptions, 33 yards. Now, look, nothing great out of the backfield, but when you can get, uh, you know, uh, productivity from from Derrick Henry out in, in the screen game, or whatever. I mean, look, you take it. That's just that's just bottom line. You, you you take it and you run with it, and that just adds to everything else that he does. Um, I, I, I I'm just not understanding, man. I mean, you sit there look at Tannehill's numbers from the other day: seventeen or twenty-one, only one hundred thirty-seven yards. Nothing going downfield. Now you can obviously give credit to Indianapolis defense. I mean, look, the Colts have a really good defense now. That. 
that has not changed, and it got better with uh, Shaq Leonard being in the lineup the other day. So obviously that helps. So look, this is not, you know, taking anything away from them. But when you sit there and you look at four games, and and you're talking about seven points by the Titans in four games. Sometimes, you know, you got to start looking past the defense at some point. That they're, you know, the opposing defenses. Thank goodness the Titans' defense themselves have held together pretty well. I mean, just, you know, you look, you throw out the Buffalo game. You know, obviously they had, you know, look, Saquon went off. Saquon Barkley, that is, went off in the first half, in the second half of the first game. We all know about that. Um, you know, look, something is going to happen sometime. You know, you kind of go back and look at that. I mean, a guy like Saquon, he's going to get his one way or the other. Usually, that's the way it works. Uh, the the play in that game was the, the um, long pass to Shepard that really should, know, should never have happened. That should never have happened. No way. No way you let Shepard get behind your defense. Okay, so then, you know, obviously throw out Buffalo game. Then you sit there and you look at the defense and, you know, not too bad when they had to make plays against the against the Raiders. They did it uh, a couple times in the red zone. They turned away the Raiders, and obviously had the uh, interception by Bayard. There was one of the big plays in that game, and then they turned them away again there uh, on the last possession or whatever. And then the same thing against the Colts here this past Sunday, turning away the Colts, turning away Matt Ryan and company, holding Jonathan Taylor down under, you know, what he would normally average, I would think. Um, Jonathan Taylor looking at his stats, only 20 rushes, 42 yards. Crazy. This defense is getting it done. Sack, they sacked Matt Ryan three times. Look at Matt Ryan's stats, 27 of 37, 356 yards with two touchdowns. Both of those touchdowns to Mo Alley Cox. Now, I will say that about the Colts when you sit there and you look at this football game. Those two tight ends they have, Mo Alley Cox and Jelani Woods, I think are a pretty good tandem. Mo Alley Cox had himself a game with six receptions, 85 yards, and the two touchdowns. And then I think we talked about this guy, Alec Pierce, briefly last week. And, you know, again, we talked about the Colts identifying another receiver to go along with um, Michael Pittman Jr. And Alec Pierce had a couple big receptions in that football game. He had the long pass that set them up in their last drive there in the fourth quarter before they were eventually turned away. I think that was the one where they missed the field goal. But he had a long pass to get them in scoring range right there. He had four receptions on six targets, 80 yards in that game. Uh, You had Kylan Granson. Uh, number 83, another tight end, actually. So I guess it's really a trio because I remember this Granson name. For, for some reason, I was thinking he was a wide receiver, but this guy's a tight end as well. He had four targets, four receptions, 62 yards. I mean, even Paris Campbell got in on him. So they were throwing the ball all over the place. But the run game was held in check, and I think that is obviously – the big thing, I don't think the Colts want Matt Ryan throwing the ball up for 40 times a game. I just don't think they want that. I think they want that balance with uh, Jonathan Taylor. They want Jonathan Taylor to be kind of the guy that leads this football team, I think. And um, it didn't happen this past Sunday. 
the Titans held them in check, and the Titans get a huge win to go to two and two. The twenty four seventeen victory over the Colts, who are now one two and one. <laughs> that that uh, record is really kind of crazy with that tie mixed in there that they had in the first game against the Houston Texans. Speaking of the Texans, man, I'll tell you they they were jumped on early and often by the Chargers and especially one Austin Eckler who got into the end zone three times. Those fantasy owners for Austin Eckler finally cashing in. Unfortunately for me, (laughs) two uh, two of my fantasy leagues, I'm playing against Austin Eckler. And of course, (laughs) both of those uh, matchups I lost on Sunday and pretty much doing large part. (laughs) <laughs> to Austin Eckler, who went off on the Texans the other day. So the Texans remain winless. Uh, valiant effort to get back in that football game because the Chargers, I think, were up at 28 nothing or 23 nothing or something like that early in that game. Did not watch a lot of that game while it was going on, but I did go back and kind of watch it on um, NFL Plus on replay and everything. And, uh, Chargers kind of look like, again, like you would expect them to look, and the Texans really hung in there. Davis Mills uh, did his best to bring them back, but it was just too much of a deficit to make up for the Houston Texans and the other game there in the AFC South, the Jacksonville Jaguars. That was one of the more anticipated matchups of the week when they went up to face the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback by one Jalen Hurts. Hurts Starts off the game pretty slow with a pick six. Jacksonville starts this thing up seven nothing, and it's looking like. And I actually got to fourteen nothing, and it was like, okay, you know what? This Jacksonville thing is for real. <laughs> They're fourteen nothing up in the rain in Philadelphia. The only remaining undefeated team, of course, Miami Dolphins went down on Thursday night football to Cincinnati. So they were the only remaining undefeated team, and it was looking like there were going to be no undefeated teams once Jacksonville got done with the Eagles there, at least after the first quarter. But then Jalen Hurts kind of, you know, really steadied himself, got himself in a rhythm. Uh, I think really their run game is what really uh, was the catalyst. They, you know, again, I think there were some timely throws, especially. A.J. Brown, who was huge early in that game to kind of keep some drives alive, but really it was a run game that the Eagles leaned on most, and uh, that was able to uh, give them the ability to carry themselves to a 29-21 victory over the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, look at Hurts, number 16 or 25 in that game, 204 yards. He had the one interception again, the pick six. But you look at that run game, and again, most notably, Miles Sanders and Miles Sanders, I'm gonna tell you. And for you know, this is a dude that a lot of people, for whatever reason, don't think a lot of. And I, I can't sit here and deny it. I've been one of them. <laughs> I mean, I've been, I mean, I've been one of them that's kind of looked at Miles Sanders as like, okay, yeah, maybe the Eagles could do a little bit better at the running back position. Well, not on Sunday. This dude, 27 rushes, 100. 34 yards out of the backfield, two touchdowns. And I think he was really the big guy that pulled the Eagles through in that football game after they got down 14 nothing. 
Um, again, it was really a rainy, messy, windy day there in Philadelphia, so probably not going to be a whole lot of throwing involved anyway when it really came down to it. So, again, Jacksonville, valiant effort to kind of stay in that game. Trevor Lawrence had a rough outing, though. That is the thing that sticks out about the Jaguars in this game. Trevor Lawrence had, I think, his worst game of the season, one of his worst games maybe as a professional. He had two touchdowns. And, you know, uh, he had really a good uh, thing going with Jamal Agnew, who caught both of those touchdowns, actually. Jamal Agnew, kind of a hybrid type guy, if you want to ask me. And he can, you can kind of put him in the slot. I think you can split him out wide. You can kind of play him as a running back, things of that nature. He had a pretty nice game. Had those two touchdowns. But other than that, Trevor Lawrence was uh, only 11-23, throwing the football 174 yards. And he had an interception. And then he had a big fumble as well that kind of sealed the deal there after the Jaguars that stopped the Eagles. Well, the Eagles went forward on a fourth and one where I sh- I thought they should have kicked the field goal to go up 11. It was, you know, 29-21. They decide, you know, um, to go for it. Jalen Hurts doesn't get it. So they give the ball back to Jacksonville and first play, first down, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence gets the ball knocked out. The Eagles recover and that was that. So, um, Trevor Lawrence, again, he's got to shake that one off big time. But, uh, again, you know, the the Jaguars are still, I think, really a team that's on the upswing. I don't think there's any question about that. I don't think any differently about them after this loss. We'll see how they back this up going forward. So, again, that's your AFC South, man. The NFC South, we're going to get into that really quick here in just a minute when Ball About the South continues.
so I can live my life and maybe eat some steak with my beans and rice up. Place where my kids can play outside without living in fear of a drive-by. And even if I get away from them drive-by killers, I still got to worry about those snitch-ass I keep on searching and I keep on looking, but try to save from watch the Brooklyn. I try to keep my faith in my people, but sometimes my people be yakking like they evil. You don't understand about running with a gang, cause you don't gangbang. y'all we're back in ball about the south continues and i apologize for my voice can't really get my <laughs> uh, voice kind of kind of raggedy today i uh, hope you can forgive me for that but we're gonna move on with the show as you know as we kind of get ready to close it down here in just a little bit but i'm gonna get into the afc south where we saw over the weekend big time win for atlanta man um yeah, this Falcons team, if nothing else, I mean, you can say what you want about Marcus Mariota. You can say what you want about some of the other guys that go around that football team. And, you know, obviously this is a team that's probably looking, a lot of people are thinking that they're, you know, just trying to uh, position themselves to to get one of those quarterbacks early in the early rounds next season. Or they're going to sit here and, and – turn the keys over to Desmond Ritter at some point this season and, and you know, no one's really expecting a whole lot out of him. But I tell you what, this team is out there fighting, if nothing else. I mean, they fought even in that Rams loss. They they probably should have won the Saints game there in uh, the first game of the season. So this team could easily be 3-1, and one, but as it is, they're 2-2 two and two and doing pretty well under Arthur Smith. Arthur Smith is doing the job, as far as I can tell. There are some people that are complaining about play calling and things of that nature, but I don't think a lot of people expected the Falcons to be two and two at this point. I don't think any. I don't think many people expected them to beat the Browns this past Sunday, but that's exactly what they went out and did. And they did it without Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson is now on the injured reserve. Uh, he was injured coming into this week. Uh, I think only practiced maybe a couple of days last week, and uh, tried to do it. Actually scored a touchdown early in the game on Sunday, but then I guess re-injured the, uh, you know, got re-injured or whatever. So he is going to be on IR and won't be available again until week nine, I think it is. So they, you know, kind of a committee at running back, but you know that. Did a pretty good job against what I I kind of think is a pretty good Cleveland Browns defense and a really actually you know a pretty good Cleveland Browns team. Uh, I was kind of you know look I'm not really surprised at the fight in this football team. I'm not really surprised, but I am 
surprised a little bit that they're able to make plays when they absolutely have to have them. Just a little bit surprised at that. And that's exactly what happened in that game on Sunday against the Cleveland Browns as the Falcons go out and get a huge 23-20 victory over the Cleveland Browns. Again, both those teams are now 2-2. Two and two, And that sit down and look at Cleveland in the NFC North. <laughs> that, you know, besides the Steelers, everyone in the NFC North is 2-2. Two and two. The Steelers are 1-3. A lot of parity going around in the NFL. You sit there and look at the NFC West. All four teams are 2-2. Two and two. No one is really separating themselves from the pack. Really, the only divisions where we're seeing any separation is uh, the AFC West, which we thought was going to be the league, the, the division that was going to be the one that uh, was going to be the most uh, competitive. The, the Chiefs were threatening to run away with that, and they had that huge win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday night. Uh, Patrick Mahomes and company just like, look, when you know they came out and and <laughs> they were razor focused in that football game, and when they come out like that, it, it doesn't matter who the defense is. It just doesn't, and then a lot of people were still sitting there thinking, okay, you know what? Coming into the season, Patrick Mahomes is not going to be as effective. He's missing <laughs> Tyreek Hill. Um, I don't see him being as good as he's been. There was that was kind of the narrative that a lot of people were pushing around before the season began. I just never could buy into that. I'm like, look, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to get it done. I don't think they may take a little bit of a hit, possibly early, but I think this team is going to be just fine. And they were just fine Sunday night for sure. They just, I mean, I mean, sliced and diced that Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense onto that huge victory, putting up over 40 points in that Sunday night game. Um, so, you know, besides that division, besides maybe um, you sit there and look at the Cowboys and Eagles kind of running away with the NFC East, every one of these divisions look like they are going to be ultra competitive. The parity is at, I mean, we, we all seeing like the parity being at all-time highs here the last several years in the NFL, and it just continues to get even more competitive, which is crazy. So, yeah, so anyway, like, like I said, huge win for Atlanta, huge loss for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as they go down hard, and that team, man, again, you know, I I think this defense ultimately is still pretty good. I I never really thought this defense is is as good as they've kind of been showing early. I'm, I have you know I'm definitely skeptical of how good this defense really is. Again, I you know, I think they showed a little bit of that Sunday night, but again, I don't think it really would have mattered <laughs> what defense was out there, other than maybe '85 Bears or the 2000. <laughs> Ravens or Buccaneers or whatever, something like that. I, you know, I, I don't. I just don't think it really, really mattered what defense was on the field. Patrick Mahomes, them, those guys came in, focused, and they just did their thing. 
So we'll see what's going, what it is going forward. I mean, Tom Brady having to play catch-up week after week is not a good thing. Having to throw 30, 40 times a game is not a good recipe, in my opinion. Really, 40 or 50. I shouldn't say 30 or 40. I should say 40 or 50 times he's having to throw the ball. No running game. Leonard Fournette. The run game is pretty much non-existent. They really, man, you know, I'm not going to say they couldn't run it, but they decided not to once they got down so far, obviously. And that that's not a good recipe going forward. It just isn't. And they had all their weapons back. I mean, look, Tampa Bay put some points on the board, which is good, you know, again, which is good. And they had everyone back. Julio played. You had Godwin back in the lineup. Obviously, Mike Evans back from his suspension. But, I don't know, man. Again, I I just think it's... (laughs) I just think this team is going to really... They're going to have to get something else other than Tom Brady throwing like this. They've got to get something in the run game. And I don't know. I just don't know if they can be consistent enough. We'll see. Uh, You look... At the other big game in the NFC South, the New Orleans Saints. They played early, early in the morning again in uh, those London games, and they went down to defeat 28-25 on one of the craziest-looking field goals or field goal misses that I've ever seen where the ball hit the upright and bounced uh, on the um, crossbar, and it could have just easily fell backwards and fell on the uh, good side of the crossbar but it decided to fall forward and fall short that field goal obviously would have tied it up sent the game to overtime but it was not to be for the Saints on that Sunday now obviously the big thing coming out of that football game is Andy Dalton getting start playing the entire game of course with Jameis Winston on the sidelines nursing his back injuries and Everything else that's going on with him and his body. So, yeah, I mean, look, there were some good points. Again, the offense looked a lot better in some ways, I would say, uh, especially in the second half. They were very competent, um, but just not enough. Actually, you know, look, the defense did not make some of the plays that they needed to make there to kind of keep. Minnesota at bay when they had to there in the second half. It's just been something. It's it's seemingly always something with this football team. On Sunday, it was the missed field goals, Lutz, and the defense not putting this thing away. So, um, again, we'll see how things go with Jameis Winston going forward. Again, Andy Dalton, play, I think, played pretty well for the most part. I think they kind of, um, you know, uh, I think in a lot of ways, Dalton may be the better fit for what the Saints are trying to do. You know, because you know, we talked about it last week with Jameis Winston. This is a guy that's not going to really, you know, he wants to take the big splash plays. I don't think there's any question about that. And sometimes there's nothing wrong with that, but there are other times you have to take the check downs and Andy Dalton is a guy that's more adapt to do that and you sit there and you look at some of the numbers here in that football game Dalton went 20 or 28 236 yards he had the one touchdown 
that touchdown pass went to Chris Olave, who continues to, to really kind of step up. Could he be the best receiver on this team? And, you know, a muscle team that has uh, Michael Thomas, team that has uh, Landry. Could he be the guy? I mean, sit there and look at Jarvis Landry the other day. Only two targets, two receptions, seven yards. I think he's got some injury problems going on. Traquan Smith had one reception, 18 yards. Marquez Callaway, three receptions, 53 yards. And that was about it. Trotman had three receptions, 37 yards, which probably was a little bit more than we've seen from him in the first few weeks, though. I will say that. So, (laughs) I don't know, man. It's kind of hard to sit here and say what is what the Saints what is going to be right for the Saints what is going to be the the right combination a lot of people are calling for Andy Dalton to get that job and obviously you still have Taysom Hill you know kind of running some of his package at times he had a touchdown the other day as well I, I I can't sit here and say that okay you know what Andy Dalton deserves it over Jameis Winston I can't sit here and say that from what I saw Sunday even though in some ways you can kind of see some improvement on what the Saints were doing. And they obviously had a chance to get that game, at least get it into overtime, and then you see what happens, and of course they missed the field goal. So it was really a crazy situation there with Dennis Allen and that football team. They can't get Alvin Kamara back, or at least not yet. So they were, you know, Went with Mark Ingram and they had Latavius Murray, who can he came who came in later in the game or whatever, and that's kind of who they're going with right now until they get Kamara back. Just a lot of questions in New Orleans. A lot of questions. We'll see if Dennis Allen can get it straightened out. Because the one good thing about it, nobody's running away with this NFC South. Tampa Bay's sitting there two and two. So, you know. Saints are at one and three. They're still right there. If they can get this thing straightened out, who no matter who the quarterback is, there's time for them to to do exactly what they felt they could do coming into the season. Um. So anyway, <laughs> and of course that leaves us with Carol with the Carolina Panthers, and they go down to defeat. To the Arizona Cardinals 26-16 and kind of the same old, same old there as well. Just not enough in the offensive game, man. I, you know, again, the defense kind of keeping them in the game, but the offense is not able to take advantage. Not able to take advantage in that loss. Um, and really, all of the losses that they had so far this season have been pretty much the same kind of deal. And, you know, Baker Mayfield you know, it's not getting any better from what I can tell. And that obviously is a problem. <laughs> a big problem. But who knows? Maybe they're going to be the team that benefits from uh, finishing last in the division, finishing up toward the top of the draft boards next year, and maybe they'll come out with, a, you know, C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or whoever. And that's basically what I was saying coming into the season, you know, going out and getting a guy like Baker Mayfield was not a really big deal because you weren't paying him that much. So, 
you throw him out there, if you hit with him and it's a, it's a success, cool. If it's not, you're not paying him that much and you can still go out, possibly get your quarterback in the draft next year. So we'll see how they play that in Carolina. So there you have it. Uh, basically, with everything that went down this past weekend, you sit there and you look at the games that we have coming up this weekend. Seattle comes into New Orleans. Seattle's been really with, with Geno Smith. That team has been surprising. They put up 48. And it was, nearly wasn't enough <laughs> to beat the Lions the other day. They win that game 48-45. No one saw that coming from the Seattle Seahawks. Nobody. And uh, so that sets up to be an interesting game. The Saints have better do their due diligence, man, this week and get them ready for that football game. Whoever the quarterback is and all of that. We'll see how that goes. Um, then you sit there and you look up and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers host the Atlanta Falcons. The Tampa Bay sitting there 2-2. Two and two, Both those teams 2-2. Two and two, 12, o'clock, 12 o'clock Fox game or 1 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, we'll see how that one goes. Very interesting uh, matchup. Carolina entertains the San Francisco 49ers. That does not <laughs> sound like a good matchup for the uh, Panthers at all with that 49ers defense coming into Charlotte and you know them struggling the way they have so far. That is, That does not seem like a good matchup at all. Uh, you sit there and you look at some of the AFC South matchups. Tennessee heading to Washington. That is a uh, early window game on CBS. Titans come into that game right now, two and a half point favorite. Uh, you sit there and you look up. Houston travels to Jacksonville. Jacksonville going back home. They're they're a seven seven point favorite in that football game. That sounds about right to me on that one. And then uh, you look up this coming Thursday night, the Indianapolis Colts and the Denver Broncos, which should be. Very interesting game as Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson kind of do battle with each other. We'll see if the Colts can kind of get this thing figured out. That's not going to be an easy feat there at Mile High Stadium there in Denver. We'll see how that goes, though. Um, looking at a couple of other matchups, man. Um, uh, uh, yeah, Cincinnati and Baltimore. Obviously, that's one of the matchups that kind of sticks off the board. The Cowboys, the three and one Cowboys who won three in a row with Cooper Rush. <laughs> who, who knew that was going to happen? Um, and with the Dak injury and everything, they head to the Rams. That should be an interesting football game. The Rams, two and two. A lot of people giving up on the Rams. I would not do that so fast. I think the Rams can still kind of get this thing back in, on track when they get some guys back or whatever. Um, so those are some of the really big-time matchups coming up this weekend. Pittsburgh Steelers, they have a new quarterback. Kenny Pickett uh, took over there in the third quarter for Mitch Trubisky, who was, ah, uh, man. I mean, I caught some of that game. He looked absolutely horrible. <laughs> so Kenny Pickett almost came to the rescue, but he ended up throwing three interceptions. One of them was on Hail Mary, so you kind of, you know, we kind of uh, take that with a grain of salt, but tough going for him in his, you know, I guess you kind of call it his debut. I think this kid's going to get better. I don't know if it's going to be this week, though, as they travel to Buffalo. That's going to be 
<laughs> You're talking about welcome to the NFL. That they're welcoming Kenny Pickett to the NFL big time with that. Uh, the, the, you know, the Giants three and one going to Green Bay this weekend. Very interesting matchup there, to say the least. Um, uh, so a lot of good action going on. The Miami Dolphins three and one, but they go to a New York Jets team that's playing pretty well. And uh, obviously the Dolphins are going to be without Tua Tonga Vailoa and that horrible miss that went down with Miami, man. You know, we knew it when Tua went down in that game against Buffalo. When he hit his head and came back up the way he did, woozy. I mean, clearly woozy. We knew that this dude had a concussion. I, I just don't understand how they dropped the ball like they did with two on that one and my prayers and I'm just hoping and praying that he is um, okay I'm hearing that he's okay right now but again obviously he may be okay right now while he's resting and you know he's chilling out but you know again obviously the main thing is we want him to be fine you know just for ordinary things but when you're sitting there talking about him doing his livelihood and that's playing football you know, it's, it's, it should probably be a minute before we see Tua Tonga Valoa back on the field. So at least they're going to hold him out this game. I would hope that they hold him out the next game as well before they really think about bringing him back. So, again, my prayers and my thoughts go out to Tua and hope that he's okay. Also, Mac Jones, who suffered an injury, uh, severe uh ankle sprain, high ankle sprain, so that you know how those things can go. They, you know, he could be out a while with that. So I wish him the best in getting back as well. Speaking about getting back, <laughs> we're going to go just really quick before I close out this show, man, and talking about Ben Simmons who made kind of his you know, another debut or re-debut the other night in the preseason against the Philadelphia 76ers. Oddly enough, I mean, how does that work out? You know, Ben Simmons, make, you know, gets back on the court after what a year, year and a half, or whatever it's been. I guess it's been a year and a half. The playoffs back in 2021 or 20 or whatever it was. And <laughs> again, it was again, it was just kind of more the same. I mean, to a degree, at least with the free throw shooting. Now, again, look. For me, I'm I'm the type of guy that I'm willing to sit here and kind of give this dude the benefit of the doubt a little bit because of everything else that he can do. Everyone harps on the the where he didn't take the layup or the dunk there in the playoffs, and I get that. Everyone, we are all in agreement on that. No no way he should not have just slammed that thing down on Trey Young and, and gone to the and gone to the free throw line and either made the shot and go for the and one or not make the shot and go on to shoot his two free throw. We all are in agreement on that. But I think the bigger deal for this guy is, is, is his free throw shooting. And obviously that's the, the reason why he did not take that shot. But his free throw shooting has got to get better. And, and, and it just so far it hasn't. We'll, hopefully it will if the season goes on. We'll see. But uh, this dude can just make his free throws 
And you put this guy in that offense around, and again, I've always said it, man. I said it back when there were some rumors about my favorite team, the Rockets, picking up Ben Simmons. I was all for it. And there were a lot of Rockets fans kind of called me crazy. And I'm sitting there like, look, I mean, y'all all sitting there talking about this dude shooting the ball and shooting threes or whatever. Who cares? You can, what you do with a guy like Ben Simmons is you flank guys around him. You flank three or four guys around him that can shoot the three. This dude is going to be able to get them the ball. I mean, this guy, <laughs> I mean, 6'10", can, you know, can just absolutely uh, – uh, Lead your offense in a lot of ways. I mean, you have Philly playing him as a point guard. Okay, I mean, I don't think he should be the point guard. I think he probably should be like a point forward or something like that. But I mean, look, if this thing works out, and again, I think it's as simple as this dude just making some free throws. If he does that, he is going to be very valuable for that Brooklyn Nets team now. You sit there and you look at the the Nets team as a whole going into the season. I'm I'm still a little skeptical, man. I'm just gonna be real. <laughs> I am. I mean, you sit there, you look at all the talent that they can roll out there, and it looks impressive. Obviously, we talk about Kevin Durant. You sit there, and you look at Kyrie Irving. It goes on and on. Little Steph. That's what I call Seth Curry. I call him Little Steph. Patty Mills off the bench. Joe Harris is back off his injury. They have one of the Morris guys off that bench. (laughs) I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, I think there's a little bit of a, you know, size discrepancy. I think size, you know, on the interior could be an issue at some times. But, you know, Blake Griffin is no longer there. He signed with the Boston Celtics the other day, which that's going to be interesting. But... You know, there should be no reason this team should not compete. But for me, if they don't, it's going to come down to leadership. Who's the leader on that basketball team? I mean, who is the guy that's going to be in the locker room and be like, look, this is how it's going to be, and it's not going to be any other way? Or who is that guy in the huddle and you're on the road and it's a five point it's a ten point game or something like that and you're down in the playoffs or you're down in a big game on the road in the middle of the season and you know you've got to make a comeback you've got to make some hoops who's going to be that guy to say look let's get this thing done who's going to be him I I, I don't see that guy on that roster I, I just don't we all know, you know what Kevin Durant has always said. He just wants to go in and out and play ball, and that's fine. Kyrie, you know, I don't think you can sit there and, <laughs> and, and count on him to be your leader. I, I don't know. I don't know if I see that guy on the roster. I mean, it's not going to be Ben Simmons, right? <laughs> who's going to be the guy? I'm not talking about who's going to be the guy to take the shot. I'm talking about who's going to be the voice in that locker room. I don't, I don't know who that is right now. It's going to be real. And it's going to be very interesting to see just how this thing turns out for the Brooklyn Nets. It's one of the most intriguing <laughs> things I've seen from a team maybe ever when you sit there and you look at it because of the star power on this basketball team.
It's crazy. Anyway, man, we're gonna get gonna close this thing out. Obviously, with the NBA coming up here in a couple weeks, tipping off for real, we're gonna get deeper into that. I'll start my previews on them. Probably start with either the Southwest or the uh, Southeast Division next week, and we'll do the other the week after that if we get ready for the NBA season. Uh, we'll again obviously look at a little bit of the rest of the NBA as well, kind of my predictions and my thoughts as we get into the regular season. Uh, the Atlanta Braves, just a couple quick notes. The Braves have done their thing. They have clinched the NL East, and they were obviously headed to the playoffs. They and the Dodgers will be uh, the two home teams kind of waiting with the, with the buys. You've got the Cardinals and the Phillies doing battle. And one wild card, my Cardinals with Albert Pujols and his 703 home runs. <laughs> and then uh, in the other one, you have the Padres and the Brewers, two very interesting wild card matchups to set up the MLB playoffs that began Friday. So, lot to lot to discuss here on Ball About the South. And I'm really glad for you joining me here on this episode again. Don't make it to last. Like, subscribe, do all of those things, and you know, give me that five star rating on Apple and Spotify as well. And let everybody else know, man, if you like Ball About the South, share it with someone and let them have a chance to like it as well. Anyway, again, my name is Kerry Wood at C Wood on Sports on Twitter and IG. That is where you can find me. I am out until the next time.